0: The candle reminds us of the fear Mary overcame when God interrupted her dreams. Facing her fears, Mary found true hope in Jesus, the child of God she was favored to carry. Joseph was excited, betrothed, working to build a home, a new life, and then betrayal, or so it seemed. Let down, disappointed, and rejected for another, his greatest fears coming true. Even though wounded and justified in his fear, Joseph would do what was honorable and faithful while still caring for Mary. But Joseph was about to learn what true love does. Matthew 1, 18-20 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In his first letter to the churches in and around Ephesus and Asia Minor, the Apostle John wrote, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Joseph was undoubtedly filled with emotion upon hearing that Mary was with child. Disbelief, hurt, confusion, When confronted with the unforgivable, with the unlovable, we can relate to Joseph's uncertainty. When the rest of the world says to divorce her quietly, we light the second Advent candle to remind us of God's word to Joseph. Do not be afraid to love because I first loved you.
1: Jean and Carol. Church, would you go ahead and stand? This first song is a call to the faithful ones to come and worship Jesus Christ, our King of Kings, who was born in a manger, but who didn't stay there. He grew up and he had a purpose, and that was this cross back here to die on the cross to save us from our sins, so that we might be in right relationship with him and have hope here on earth and hope in heaven. And we worship him this morning because of who he is. So let's sing together. Oh, come all. Ye-
2: Forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned Now I'm alive and well And your spirit lives within me Because you died and rose again spirit is within
3: with one voice this morning that we just want to praise you. That we want to give you all the glory for all that we have and all that we are. For being able to be here this morning to sing praises to your name. To be able to celebrate Christmas. Father, to be able to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Not a God with us just 2,000 years ago, but a God with us in this very moment as we stand here, as we praise, as we sing, as we stand to worship together. Father, our prayer is this morning that we would just embrace Emmanuel today. That wherever we are in our minds and in our hearts, that we would recognize that you are there with us. You are here with us this morning. And Father, in doing so, in acknowledging that you're here, and acknowledging your presence in our life, Father, we want to be open to what you would say to us through your Word. We want to be open to us through what we want to be open to what you would say to us through each other this morning, as we spend time together. As we catch up to the best of our ability, Lord, as we hear what you would say to us through our church family, continue, Lord, to pour yourself out on this this morning, Lord. Place your hand on Pastor Brian. You've prepared something for him to say to us from you. May we hear your words this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. May we see you. If you're a phaophobic,
4: then you have a fear of elves. <coughs> if you're a geliophobic, then you have a fear of laughter. Aren't you glad we don't have that in our church? We like to laugh together. And if you are a young person, uh, young is a relative term, I'll let you decide whether you fit under that description or not. You, you probably often experience nomophobia. Nomophobia is you have a fear of losing cell signal. You know, life just seems to, just to melt away when you lose that cell service and your phone just won't connect and you don't have Wi-Fi. Or, or weefy, as my wife uh, likes to call it on occasion. So we all have phobias and fears and things that make us kind of uh, a little apprehensive and anxious. It's been fun to hear some of your phobias over these last couple of weeks together as we talk about this theme we read in the Advent stories, these commands that we see in the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. We see it in Matthew and in Luke, two different occasions where we're commanded to Fear not. When God shows up, he tells us to fear not. Isn't that curious? When God shows up, he has to tell us not to be afraid. That should maybe pause, cause us to pause and reflect a little, uh, little bit and to think a little deeper than maybe we would normally think. And When God shows up, that means he's about to do something significant, do something different, something unexpected. I think that's where we have to be encouraged to fear not, just not in the fact that an angel appears or shows up. That in itself might be terrifying. But we don't always like the idea of new, or when things look different, or when uh, our our status quo is upended. We like comfort. We're we're creatures of habit. Now you may say, well, I like going on roller coasters. I'd like to put myself in these situations. I like exciting new adventures. They're often the adventures that you've planned, you've thought about, that you've given some thought to. It's those unexpected moments where where life tends to get ahead of us, where when God shows up, he's about to do something that we maybe aren't prepared for, where he has to remind us to fear not. Last week, we began our Advent conversation with with Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, who undoubtedly had these incredible dreams of what her life would be like, betrothed to be married, uh, planning her future, maybe even getting with Joseph discussing what their home would be like, how many children they would have, getting looking forward to what he would become as a carpenter, only to have the angels show up. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Wow, how quickly her plans changed. Her dreams that she had had for so long, God quickly rewrote. And in this, this change, in this, this redefining, if you will, God said, fear not for I'm with you. It takes us back to the Old Testament. we read reading through the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 41, verse 10, where God, through the prophet, says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you, and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. God was with us in the Old Testament. He's with us now. That's what Emmanuel means. When God is with us, there's no room for fear. Because fear is pushed out. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. We all have them. We all, we joke about them. Uh, sometimes we, we don't want people to know about them. But fear is a normal part of life. It's something that we all deal with in some way. Our fears change from the time that we're young until we grow up, uh, until we mature, uh, when we become parents or when we get married or when we have careers. Our fears tend to adjust to the, the, the stage of life that we find ourselves in. We all have them. Some are easy to define. Others are much harder to kind of wrap our minds around. Some are even harder to recognize. We not even know that they're fears, but they're fears that drive our actions, our motivations, and the things that we say, how we interact with one another. One of those fears in my life uh, presents itself like that. Uh, By nature, I'm a people pleaser. Anyone relate to that? I think Most of us do in some way. We like to be liked. We like when people like us. We, we, we like when they listen to us. We like in some ways of having influence. We may not have to have big spheres of influence, but we like to be liked. We like people to relate to us well. We want to fit in. We want to say the right things. We, we want people to look at us and, and feel like there's, there's nothing threatening. This is, he's one of us or, or she's one of us, and we're in life together, and we don't have to do this thing alone. Growing up in high school, I, I remember what this was like, what it looked like. Uh, trying to say the right thing, have the right friends, or, 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 or have the right clothes. That seems to be a big one for our, our, our young people today, or the right shoes. I remember at church camp, I was a teenager. I was sitting, I remember exactly where I was. We were sitting in the amphitheater, getting ready for a bonfire, and I looked over and there's a kid sitting across from me, and he had on for what I saw for the very first time was a pair of Reeboks. I thought, those are cool. Reeboks aren't as cool anymore. But they were then. I thought, I really want a pair of those until I got home and realized how much they cost. And I didn't really want them that badly anymore. But that's how things worked. In order to fit in, you had to, to dress the part. You had the right fashions or the right styles. Now you can go out wearing pajama pants and everybody thinks you're cool. Where was that when I was growing up? But, but I had to, we would go to the mall. And I grew up in a town called Fairmont, West Virginia. And, and Fairmont had the very first mall in West Virginia called Middletown Mall. And we'd go there for all of our new fashion choices. There was a store at Middletown Mall called Chess King. You remember Chess King? I'd go to Chess King to look. I didn't go to Chess King to buy because I couldn't afford to buy at Chess King. Uh, so uh, we, I'd buy my clothes at Hills, Hills Department Store, and eventually J.C. Penney's. to get an idea of, of, of what I had to look forward to. And, uh, but, but God was good. He took care of us. And on occasion, I'd have a little extra money. I'd go to the Army-Navy store in town where I would buy my cool jeans. Now I'm not talking Jordache or Z Cavaricci. I'm talking like like Lee jeans or Wranglers. But at the Army Navy store, they had the, the two-tone jeans where the front was gray denim and the back was blue denim. Yeah, you can see it, can't you? Uh-huh. I couldn't, I couldn't find them to break those out for today. And even if I could, they wouldn't fit. But, but those were the style then. And um, I, even um, you know, kids, they, they think they're so cool when they peg their jeans. That's so 1990s, 1980s. I mean, they're so behind. So what was cool then is now coming back around. um, So I was kind of like faking it. I would fake it with with my designs and my style, um, my my drip, as my kids call it today. I was just kind of faking it. As they say, fake it till you make it. I never did make it, so I'm (laughs) too old now to worry about it. But then in Fairmont, West Virginia, not only did we have um, the very first mall, there was a store in Fairmont that started... It was revolutionary. They would take uh, kind of the, the seconds or the slightly damaged products from other stores. they bring them all together and they sell them in one place. You may know it as Gabe's or Gabriel Brothers. The very first one was in Fairmont, West Virginia or, or Morgantown, we're seeing it in that area. And it was about two miles from my house. We could go to Gabe's and I could find the name brands at prices I could afford. Now, sometimes they might have a tear or rip in the knee and that was like before it was cool to have a rip in the knee, now you pay extra for that. But I could go there, and I could find clothes that would help me kind of fit in, so that I could relate, so that I could please people, so I could be part of the in crowd. I've grown out of some of that, much to my wife's chagrin. She doesn't think I have any kind of style right now, and she's probably right, because then a lot of times, I just don't care. I got more important things to focus on, more important people to focus on than worrying about how I fit in. But being a people pleaser, we still want to connect saying the right things, uh, recognizing certain things, looking the part, and not being so consumed with stuff. But rather, I become more afraid of what people think or don't think. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I say that in jest to slightly, but there's some truth to it. If I'm so focused on what pleases others, I tend to become less focused on what pleases God, it's hard for the two those two ideas to go hand in hand. I can't please people and please God all the time. There's certainly some seasons of overlap, but generally speaking, I'm focusing on what others think. I'm not really concerning myself with what God thinks. And today the fear that we're going to be facing is that that's a very real fear that Joseph faced. He's worried about what others might think. But God spoke to him, and Joseph responded. There's three events in in the the telling of Jesus' birth where we see three angels show up with with the same message, fear not. We talked about Mary, today's Joseph, and next week, Pastor Josh will be sharing with us the message to the angel, or to to the shepherds, I'm sorry. God helping us overcome our fear. Helping us to step boldly into the life that he has for us. To grab hold of what it is that he's up to. God's showing up. God's doing something. While that can be fearful to some, for those who care about what he thinks, it's an exciting season. I pray that God would, as he steps into our lives, if he tells us to fear not, we get excited about what he's up to. So the good look, going to look at this story, this message, this overcoming, it begins with us recognizing that there are seasons, perhaps in our lives, where we have or we still are obsessing over what people think of us if that's you, then that's the quickest way for us to forget about what God thinks of us. Which is more important? We know the right church answer, but which answer do we live out in our lives every day? If you find yourself worrying trying to live up to their expectations, whoever they may be? Be it your family, be it friends, be it coworkers or just be it people on TV or the media, that they or them or they are trying to redirect our lives to live it a certain way, trying to tell us what it looks like to be happy or to fit in or to please others, saying the right things, driving the right cars, posting the right images, having the right kind of home, dressing the part. My prayer for us this morning is that God will do a deep work in our hearts. In regards of how we've come, we'll leave be more concerned about what he thinks Rather than what others think. Matthew chapter one. That's to be our text this morning. We're reading about a man named Joseph. He was a good man. Scripture tells us that. We, we see it in just a few verses of which he's talked about the type of man that he is. And he's faced with now this massive decision, that this truly life changing decision between what is easy and what is right. What is easy and what is right? You ever notice as those two ideas never rarely seem to go together. What's easy is usually not right. What's right is not often easy. Now, the closer we are to God, I think the more those two ideas tend to overlap. But the further away from God that we are, the more distinctly different they are. What's right is rarely easy. We know in our hearts it's right not to gossip, but it's so much more fun to talk about others, isn't it? We know it's right to resist temptation and not to give in to that chocolate chip cookie or two or three or 12. But, but, but we, we do it anyway. We know it's not right to go spend four or five dollars on a coffee, but we like it. So we, we know what's right, but it's not always easy. Joseph's faced with this situation in his life in this moment. Engaged to be married to a young girl named Mary. Now, engagement in biblical times was similar to to marriage. Uh, It was binding. It was was legal. Uh, They kind of signed on. It was a a legally uh, enforceable commitment that Joseph had made to Mary and to her Mary's family, but there was a way out. There was was two ways out. The first one was death. Uh, If your fiance died, then obviously there's nothing to be bound to. The second way out was divorce. I find it interesting that there was a, a means for divorce that's spelled out in the Old Testament. we'll talk about in just a few moments. So there was a way out. Joseph' faced with this situation, and initially he wants out. But before we get to that, let's talk about how he got there. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So even though they're engaged, they're not yet together even though they're betrothed and it's legal, that they haven't yet had sex. Uh, they, they are legally married, but the marriage part hasn't begun because they're still in this season of betrothal. So, so Mary shows up one day, they're, they're meeting, they're courting perhaps, they're having a conversation, and she shares with Joseph, hey Joe, I, I'm pregnant. And Joseph immediately makes, has a realization, that's not mine. And he's crushed and he's hurt, and he is just in disbelief, and he's probably angry, and he's like, what are you talking about? This doesn't happen. I, can you imagine his emotions? We, we often miss some of the emotions in, in the scripture that have to be real. Well, what do you mean you're pregnant? Who did this to you? And then Mary, she's like, well, you know, she's had this conversation with the angel. She knows what it's all about. She's like, don't worry, Joe. It's from the Holy Spirit. Really, I promise. And Joseph's like, don't, don't give me that. What, what, what's going on? I thought we were committed to one another. What, what's happening? And then from Joseph's perspective, there's only two options. Only two things could have happened or are happening. Either Mary's lying or she's crazy neither of which are good options. Joseph is in this this place of just, his world now is completely turned upside down. Remember last week where Mary was? All of her dreams, completely rewritten at the hand of God. Now Joseph finds himself in the same place except God hasn't yet spoken to him. Now even if, if, Joseph could believe her, or even trust her, then he starts thinking about what's next. I mean, what will what, what people think of me? Here we find this fear that we're dealing with this morning. What would people think of me? I would be marked for life. Having taken on a, the, the, a wife who's an adulteress, that's what the culture would think. Taking on a child as my own that's not mine. No one would believe me. There'd be scandals surrounding our family. My wife would become an outcast. I won't even be employable. By Jewish law, I couldn't be hired. No one would do business with me. My parents won't bless this marriage. The child will be mocked and made fun of. Even if Joseph did believe, if he thinks about next steps, no one in their right mind would say, okay, Mary, I believe you. Let's go do this. See, his state of mind, he's just not sure. He decides that he's going to end it. End the relationship, end the marriage. But Joseph's a good man. He's got a faithful heart. We read in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he's got this this battle of two different emotions going on inside of him. He's faithful. He's a good Jewish man. He does what's right according to the law. But he's also, I think in many ways, in love with Mary. There's compassion here that he expresses to her, uh, towards her that she doesn't even know it yet. He doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. We read in verse 19, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Find those words interesting, divorce her quietly. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we see uh, in the teachings of Moses, the law of Moses, there was a a statute in Jewish law where Joseph could preserve his status as a law-abiding, faithful Jew. If he had two witnesses, he could issue to Mary a certificate of divorce. That was, that was written down. Now, you could do it for general reasons. There's no specifics in Deuteronomy 24 that limits how you could do it or what you could do it for. But general practice was divorce was only granted in two significant issues. The first one was, of course, adultery. You were unfaithful. The second one was if you were found to be barren or you could not bear children, which I kind of feels pretty heartless. If you couldn't bear children, you could divorce someone. But as a faithful, one faithful to the law... Joseph, because he the law, just he could not marry Mary. He is faced with this reality. The fact, if I'm going to still be faithful to the law, I can't do this. I can't be faithful and marry her. So in his mind, divorce was the only option he had. But still wanting to be compassionate, he was going to do it quietly. See, a quiet divorce will leave intact his faithfulness to the law and his compassion. It would leave intact his faithfulness, but still preserve some of the love that he has for her. And what's interesting, though, is Joseph thinks he's doing the noble thing. By divorcing her quietly, he's not going to shame her. He's going to do what's right for him and what's best for her, thinking maybe he could start over, save his reputation, find someone else. But Joseph's about to learn one of life's most important lessons. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. When we live our lives to please him, there will be seasons where we disappoint others, especially those who are looking for the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Verses 20 through 21, we read, but Joseph, after he considered this, the an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And we see the angel tell Joseph, not only is he going to have a baby, but here's his mission. This is why he's coming. This is good news. This is exciting stuff, Joseph, and you get to be a part of it. But I find it curious, it says, after Joseph had considered this, I wonder if God wasn't hoping that Joseph would just grab hold of the opportunity, listen to Mary and just believe her, and would just take her and say, okay, let's go. I believe you. God is in this. We're going to go, go, go pursue what he has, and I get to be a part of it. It's after he considers the angel shows up. Hmm. He gives Joseph an instruction. First instruction is do not be afraid. But his instruction has two parts. The second instruction is Take Mary home as your wife. Two parts to it. Both significant. Both indicative of what God is doing now in Joseph's life. Last week we read that Mary was favored. She was looked upon as someone that that, that God could use. I think in this way we also see that Joseph is favored. Chosen by God himself to be the earthly father for his son. But here's this faithful man of God. For centuries... The Israelites have been waiting for the Savior, waiting for the Messiah. Joseph, as a one who is faithful to the law, would know this. And he knows in this moment he's got to make a decision. Do I do what's easy? Do I do what's right? Do I obsess over what other people think about me and forget about what God has asked me to do? Do I start obsessing what God wants forget about what people think about me? It's a pretty heavy ask. And it's a pretty deep uh, consideration that Joseph is now chewing on. And Joseph now makes a decision. And through Joseph's actions, we we begin to see the answer of how we learn to live for God instead of people. And the first thing we do when we have choosing to live for God instead of people is we recognize that God might be asking us to do difficult things. Here's Mary, who's been tasked with giving birth to the sinless son of God would grow up to give his life as a ransom for everyone. Here's Joseph being asked to take on a child that's not his, but also the the shame and the looks from from the crowd and from from everyone else from the world, from his family that would come along with it. Joseph, I'm asking you to do this because I'm up to something. Something you may never realize or fully understand, but I'm up to something. When I show up, Joseph, when I say fear not, I'm about to do something different. In Mary and Joseph's life illustrate to us, they reflect to us this idea that if we're not willing to be criticized for being obedient to God, then we're not willing to put ourselves in a position to even be used by God. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves and to trust God when he asks us to step into situations that just aren't normal, that just don't fit in, that just don't look like the rest of the world, because they don't. They can't. For God to do what God does, it's not going to look the way that the world would do it. It never has, and it's never going to. Are we willing to be criticized? Are we willing to be rejected? Are we willing to be talked about? Are we willing to be used by God? Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings who are of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think Paul could also write, if I were still trying to please people, I could not, could not be a servant of Christ. Then going public with our faith requires us to care less about what others think and more about what God thinks. The whole idea of baptism kind of drives home this point. Uh, Who in their right mind in our culture today would stand up in front of a crowd and be dunked in a tub of water and come up soaking wet and give glory to God for what he's done? That's not something... Normal people would do, but we do it as an act of obedience to, to bear testimony to what it is that God does inside of us. See, faith does something within us, just as Jacob was—I'm sorry, Joseph was told to not be afraid and to go do something. We're we're told the same thing. Don't be afraid. I've I've come. I'm with you. I'm beside you. I'm come now in the world with you. I want to save you, but when I do, I'm going to tell you to go do something for me. Take a stand for Christ at school or at work. Save yourself for marriage. Don't listen to certain types of music. Praying over our meals, perhaps even in public. Honoring God with our actions and our words. Not going to the party that everybody else says you have to go to. Watching our entertainment choices. Not having even a smartphone if it becomes a temptation that leads us away from him. Are we willing to be obedient, even if that obedience means criticism. We're willing and ready to be used by God. Through Mary and Joseph's life, we also learn that those who make the biggest difference often endure the greatest pain. Think about those faith heroes in your life. Those ones that you look to and you remember whose stories just reflect and you can't help but resonate with and share. They're probably not always easy stories. There's typically difficult chapters, difficult seasons, but it's in those difficult seasons where we see God do his greatest work. The biggest difference uh, that God makes often comes in the seasons of greatest pain. And that's unfortunate, but that's, that's how t- he gets our attention. And, and that's when we see the magnitude and the power and the effect that God's grace can have on our lives. It, grace becomes more and more real to us in those moments of deep pain. And the truth is, there's big difference moments where God shows up and does his best work. Everything significant that Amy and I have done in our lives has met with, in some way, opposition or at least questions. As we were beginning our life and we, we would have kids, well, if we had kids, well, we were, you're too early, you're too young to have kids. It started that way. Uh, then as we started to have more kids, we had up to two kids, and that wasn't too bad. Three kids, okay. But when we had four kids. Are you sure you can support four kids? Are you sure you can take care of four kids? Once you have three kids, four, five, eight, twelve, 12 doesn't really matter You're outnumbered at that point. It's not a big deal. But I will tell you, when we got to the point of five kids, we got questions. Do you know what you're doing? Yes, we know how this works. We've been through it before. I understand. But then six kids. See, the sixth kid was adopted. That was a different type of choice. The idea even to go into foster care was questioned. Are you sure this is right for your family? Are you sure this is a good thing? Your kids are still so young. Are you sure you should do this right now? well-meaning questions, people that loved us, questioning us, asked because they cared, not because they were upset at what we were doing, they were genuinely concerned, but what they didn't know, the conversations that we'd had with God, and the instructions that God had given us to go and do something that doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, I could live our lives to please people, but I would have missed out on so many blessings. Six and led to seven. Once you get to seven, now they quit asking the questions. Oh, well, I guess this is just what they are. This is just what they do. That's right. See, sometimes the biggest difference happens when you endure the greatest pain. That's for us personally. Now, talk about us corporately, as a church. What churches make the biggest difference for the kingdom? What churches are making the biggest impact or, or the biggest gains in reaching those who are lost? It's churches that are willing to endure pain. Churches who are willing to be obedient. Churches who are willing to stop worrying about what others think and instead worry about what God thinks. Those who aren't worried about doing what's easy but are more concerned with doing what's right. Even when what's right is hard. In church, I believe that God is calling us to hard things. I share with our vision team this past week, we've been going through this process of, of crafting our mission statement for our church for, for, the, for the coming season that God has for us. And the reason it's important is in the absence of mission, the church is relegated to maintenance. And I refuse to be a pastor who maintains ministry in a church. That's not what God's called me to. And if that's what you're here to do is simply to maintain, then boy, you're up for a bumpy ride because God's up to something. And I want to be a part of it. And I'm excited about what he's doing. And guess what? It's not going to be easy. Not. There might be other churches in our community like, well, what are they doing over there? That's okay with me. I'm all right with that. I don't care about pleasing them or pleasing our culture. I want to please him. And I believe as a church, when we strive to do hard things, it's because, not because we're after it, but rather because God's in the midst of it. The extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Simply saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when the rest of the world says this is wrong, even when they're talking about us, I want to be obedient. The Savior of the world is born when two teenagers say yes to God. But here's what they didn't understand yet. They didn't realize how difficult this was going to be. Because they'd say yes in this moment, Joseph submits himself to the Lord's leading, takes Mary home as his wife, doesn't have sex with her until the child is born. They had no idea they were about to have to go to Bethlehem to answer to a census where they would go and be completely isolated, all alone. It's a whole other message for another day. Why was Mary and Joseph alone in the city of David where Joseph's family was also at? Why was no one there to help them with the birth of Joseph's child? Because he chose Mary and they rejected him. You ever think about that? If Joseph had to go to Bethlehem, didn't Joseph's brothers and cousins and uncles also have to go to Bethlehem? Yes. But they were all alone. They made a hard choice. they were willing to live with it. When they said yes, they had no idea that what loneliness they would have to endure, or where they might even have to give birth to the Son of God. Surrounded by animals, lying him in a manger. Saying yes to God doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It might even get much more difficult. But God doesn't always give us the details because he knows that deep down we can't handle the details. It leads to this question. Is there an area in our lives where we're living to please people rather than God? Is there something we're holding on to because we know other people like that part of us? Be it our spending, our spending, Maybe we go into debt because we want to impress people we don't know. Maybe it's your career. Uh, You want to please someone else. You you like the accolades. Maybe you're compromising yourself sexually to win someone's love. Or you're hiding your faith because you're afraid people will reject you or make fun of you. Especially if you're in school or a young person. I get that. Fitting in is so important. the, the, The thoughts of our peers matter. But I hope that they never matter more than what matters to God. We have no idea what God might do through a single act of obedience not only for the ones he wants to impact, but also for ourselves. What might one yes mean in your life? Joseph was faced with this choice. Do I worry about what God thinks or what others think? And in this decision, we, we, we come to this grip of, of this Advent theme for our, our, for our focus today of love. Joseph's got this fear of what others think about him. What that communicates deeply is that what Joseph's really concerned about is what is it that I love? Do I love the accolades, the applause, the approval of others? Or do I truly love God? And God shows up in Joseph's life. And the decision he's given is a a love decision. Who do I love more? God? People? Joseph chooses God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, there's no fear in love. God shows up. Love in its purest form shows up to Joseph. Just fear not. It is as if that was even an option. When I'm here, Joseph, in your life, there is no room for fear. Fear not. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. The word perfect in this context it's perfect's a funny word for us. It doesn't mean without flaw. It means complete. It means full, full love. Complete love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. This has nothing to do with punishment. This is about blessing. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us, and out of His love for us, we then have a choice: world or God. Church, we could never imagine what God might set into motion. We would simply say yes to what He puts on our hearts. I, I've had a season in, in ministry these last several months where I've, I've I've just distinctly felt God telling me things. That it's been hard because in my mind, like, well, Lord, that's not going to make certain people happy. And God like, well, are you trying to make them happy or make me happy? And I wrestle with that. I do. I share that with you not because I want you to know I still am, I'm not wrestling with it any longer, but because I understand what it's like to go to have this battle within our own hearts and spirits to question and to wonder. What, God, what may be God calling you to? Who may God be calling you to? What is it that God might want you to give up or to pursue? What is it that he's showing up in your life saying, don't be afraid, I'm up to something but you're going to have to choose something a little bit different, a little out of the box, a little difficult. And if you do, I'm going to amaze you. Extraordinary acts of God. or with ordinary acts of obedience. Joseph, you know, he could have said no. Mary was already, he had already conceived the baby was growing inside of her. Jesus was coming. Whether Joseph said yes or no a much better story because Joseph said yes. And we learn more about him, and we learn from his example and the type of person that he was, and then we can learn from his fears and how he responded to them. I'm thankful for Joseph. While Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about him, it tells us a lot about him. (laughs) It's okay to question. It's okay to wrestle. But when God shows up, makes himself clear. Then the choice, well, there isn't one. God makes it for us. And for those who are faithful, those who love God, who care about more about what he thinks, obedience simply becomes a way of life. Interesting how Joseph is introduced to us as one who is faithful to the law. But by receiving Mary as his wife, he broke the law. But now we define him as one who is faithful to God. That's a much better definition and one that I think we all should strive for. Joseph valued the heart of God above the opinions of man. And while after Jesus' birth and after, even after Jesus is found at the temple when he's 12 years old, we don't know much else about Joseph. But he did what he was asked to do. And that's enough. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him took Mary home as his wife. That simple statement of obedience tells untold stories about a man who loved God. I invite you to stand with me, church. We have the same choice presented to us today. We could hold on to our fears about what others might think of us. You might be wrestling with that even right now, perhaps even last night, right? we learn in the week ahead, what, what, what are others going to think? What will they think if my laundry's not done or if they could really see inside my closets or under my bed or what my life's really like? What would they think if they really knew how I got by at work or what I did to do to be successful at school or, or what I watched on TV or listened to on the radio? What would they think? And we could worry about those things and let those things weigh us down. Or we could just let God step into our lives and say, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be afraid to make Difficult choices. God is up to something, church. Don't be obsessed, I'm sorry, the favor of men that we sacrifice the favor of God. Let us love perfectly, fully, surrender ourselves to Him, and then watch what He does. I think next year we're going to have a lot of stories as we talk about what God is up to, what God is doing. I'm excited that we get to be a part of. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for being a God who's still showing up, who's still interrupting our plans, who's still disrupting our dreams, who's still meeting with us when we're wrestling with with the approval of men and inviting us to something so much deeper. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be part of your work. You're inviting us, Lord, to be part of the story. Joseph didn't have to say yes. You didn't need him to, but you did. You used that man in his heart to help raise your son. You didn't have to use Mary, but you did. And Lord, I still think you're asking us to do difficult things, Lord, so that we can experience these miraculous movings of God in our lives and our culture today. We often ask, Lord, why aren't you doing something? And I believe that you are. But you would do even more if your people would just be obedient. What doors might we open by just saying yes? Lord, thank you for what you're up to. Glad to be a part of it. Maybe leave our fears here. Believe immersed in this perfect love we find in you. We love you, Lord. And thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's all for your glory. is Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Leave your fears here. Go immersed in perfect love. Be a blessing to someone else this week. Christmas.